With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good evening to all you Mets and folk out there. This is the converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell. And you are here with the Mets and podcast. Uh, we're coming at you live from a few different places. I, myself, am in Manhattan, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, we're coming at you live from Connecticut with uh, Rich Sparago of uh, Connecticut, and we got Mike in uh, Bensonhurst with us. We're all over the tri-state area here as we come at you with our first spring training special of the uh, 2019 season. Gentlemen, uh, we will, uh, you know, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, baseball is in the air. Rich, how you doing? I am doing well for that exact reason, Sam. Um, to me, you know, because I, I, I love the NFL as well, and, and so um, last Sunday and this Sunday were the only two Sundays other than the week between the, the championship games and Super Bowl without baseball or football, and it's over, man. You know, after today, we're at baseball kicking in. There'll be baseball on TV every Sunday for the next seven or eight months, and uh, it's a wonderful feeling. I, I'm I'm feeling great. So, uh, Mike, today we got our first taste of Jacob DeGrom on the mound, and he was pitching two Mets batters. Uh, that's that must have been uh, uh, quite the quite the the experience for some of these minor leaguers who hadn't taken pitches all uh, you know spring long. I mean, all winter long. Uh, I'm sure they they feel like uh, they're better off on his side than opposed to uh, you know. Uh, but uh, a good day, nevertheless. Spring training is here. For me, it's just a flip of the day, uh, another day in the calendar. Baseball never stops for me. I follow winter leagues. That just wrapped up. Um, days ago, so uh, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to get into it too. I could definitely use the distraction, and as well, uh, you know, it it it's weird at this point in my life. Everything kind of feels detached, and I know that I need to get somehow, some way, Rich, back into baseball in in my own way for my own good. Well. You know, and this this winter, I don't know what your perception is, Mike and Sam, but to me this winter, this off season has gone by very quickly. And I think the reason for that is that the Mets have been in the news a lot. I mean, a lot more than usual. And you, you, you had that sense of connection with them. I mean, they're always doing something, you know, whether it's the Cano trade, you know, which you, you could like it or dislike it and – um, all those other things they've done, they, they've made a bunch of moves to add depth that we'll talk about later, but they're always doing something. And it feels like they never really went away. So so I'm ready. I think it's been a short off season, and I'm ready to go. I'm connected. <laughs> Do you know who's not connected at all is Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Uh, Mike, 
I, I, I think I'm going to start a little broadly over here before we get really deep into spring in Port St. Lucie. Um, it, I, I'm kind of still shocked. I mean, I know this has happened before, but, you know, I think do you, do you, this is a complete conspiracy theory right off the cuff, right off the top of my head. But do you think the MLB knows that the fact that they're talking about, we're still talking about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado not uh, in any other team right now actually is news unto itself and people are talking about baseball that way? Well, if there was a private agreement amongst them, they're in big, big trouble. (laughs) That's collusion. I remember (laughs) 1981 when they went on strike. I remember in the mid-'80s when Peter Uberoff was commissioner and he made a mild suggestion to the owners, you know, you guys need to be a little bit smarter about what you're doing. But uh, like I said, they had that little uh, cocktail meeting and decided to to go against the players in the union, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that was a huge mistake on that point. This time around, I don't think there, I don't think there's collusion going on. I just think that the minds of baseball have gotten smarter. And and Mike, actually, I'll give credit to Michael K on radio for saying this: that uh, the analytics have just caught up to the to the finances of the game and what they have come up with you know, just totally goes against the money that these guys are making. And I think they're finally putting their foot down and they're just being smarter. You can't accuse or, or you can't uh, uh, convict anybody for being smart. You understand? So it, it's it's tricky. Uh, I totally expect a backlash from the players uh, insofar as going on strike and try to combat this and try to change the landscape of baseball with regards to arbitration and free agency eligibility and this, that, and the other. Uh, so this is definitely going to be two Rams bumping heads or butting heads or colliding, whichever which way you choose to put it. Uh, but it's not going to be good. And, and like in The Godfather, they say, yeah, every side of the would go to war. It cleans out the bad blood. Well, we're going to see what happens. But I don't think this is collusion. I just think this is a bunch of smart people who are finally saying – uh, these salaries, there's just no justifying these salaries for what we get in return. You'll see that the history of 10 years, seven and 10 year contracts uh, works against ownership almost every time, almost every time. Uh, but I remember when George Steinbrenner gave Dave Winfield a 10 year contract. Uh, that, uh, for, for the most part, worked out, but that was back in the 80s. Uh, and, and then a preponderance of these contracts was given out during. Uh, you know, in the midst of the steroid era when these guys were loading up and, and, and staying on the field and being productive into their late 30s and, and, you know, 40, 41, 42, unlike the natural course of, this, uh, of a career. And you're seeing that where, where length, of con- uh, length of careers are contracting again and, and guys are getting hurt and they're having to retire from it. And there's just no look, – look what happened last year with the Red Sox. Uh, just two months into the season – uh, their manager, Alex Cora, told the Red Sox, you know what, uh, Hanley Ramirez, cut him, keep that money because he's a hindrance to it. And that's exactly what happened. And, and he's still unemployed. And look at these guys who still haven't signed. Uh, not collusion, just very, very smart. And don't forget, Bryce Harper got or received an offer for $300 million over whatever it was years, but the offer was there for his taking, and he, and he refused, looking to get more. So there's something said about the agents, the players, and the ownership in, the, in this regard. Sorry it's gone so long. No, it's okay. Where, where was that offer from again? 
do we know? I'm sorry, say that again. Oh, that so for Bryce Harper, that came from the Nationals from the get-go. I mean, oh, right yeah, now, yeah, I'm course, course. I just wanted to make sure. Right. Yeah. So, Rich, uh, do you think it's just also strategy? On, uh, you know, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are being talked at as individuals. Do you think that's a good thing for their brands? Well, probably not. You know, probably not. And and you could look at it, you know, Mike, I know you probably both relate to it, probably Mike, because Kiner used to talk about this all the time back in the 70s, that, that whole thing with Branch Rickey, you know, when Kiner came to him after having a great year and Branch Rickey said, well, you know, you're going to get the minimum, the minimum possible because we came in last with you, we can come in last without you. And so, you know, that same philosophy to a degree about, you know, that individual branding thing, if you, it's a double-edged short because if you're Bryce Harper and you're Manny Machado and you want to say, me, you know, I'm the guy, I'm a great player, which they both really are, somebody could throw it right back at you and say, okay, Bryce, well, help me understand this. You know, you were, on, you were surrounded by really good players. I mean, you were surrounded by Ryan Zimmerman and the pitching staff that they have there with Strasburg, you know, and Scherzer and Geo until this year, you know, and all those guys. And you never won anything. You never made it past first round. So if you're going to brand yourself as some kind of a savior, show me some evidence of where you've done that. And Machado with the Orioles, it's like, you know, the Orioles in, in 14, they won the first round of the playoffs, but, but then they got bounced and never made, it to the, never made it out of the LCS, didn't make it to the World Series with Machado. So if you're going to say that I'm an, if you take me, you'll win, what? <laughs> the other teams had you for a long time and never won. So um, anyway, and I – Personally, I don't buy into that. I, I don't buy this thing, you know, that um, you can fault one person for not winning. But if you're going to brand yourself as a singular savior, a singular difference maker, it's going to come right back at you, especially if you're those guys. You know, your teams haven't won. It's that, it's that simple. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know whether, uh, and hopefully maybe one of you can help me out here, whether – has anybody ever exited the first round as often as the Nationals in a row? I mean, they're basically, you could argue that they are the division series Buffalo Bills. Rich? I agree. I, no, I agree. I don't know that um, that uh, – I agree with your point. I don't know that anybody has been bounced as often from the first round as the Nationals have. I'm going to venture to say I mean, no I one has. I guess you can know. I mean, like Oakland, Oakland A's, Minnesota Twins, but consistently, I mean, like literally in a row – the way the Nationals can? Because they're really the blip is the Mets and the Braves <laughs> last year. I, I can't imagine that, um, that that's been the case. So many, you know, so many years in a row. Because uh, you think about it, in, um, they made the postseason, I think, in 13, 14, 16, 17. So that's four out of five years. and got bounced in the first round every time. So um, yeah, and so, in tw- and got bounced in twelve, of course. So yeah, exactly. Well, so there you have it. Um, so there you have it. And moving on to the Mets, uh, imagine if all of a sudden with Tim Tebow and Jacob Degrom and Noah Syndergaard there and Michael Conforto and Robinson Cano and all these other stars, Mike. One more time before we get to some realistic stuff. Imagine if Bryce Harper just walked into Point Sports St. Lucie. I still can't wrap my head around how much money the Mets would make immediately with all the buzz around the nation 
about the fact that they, they're the ones who ended up signing Bryce Harper. It's just, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The upper deck would pay for his salary. I keep on saying it. Uh, it. It would be great. It would be stupendous if he walked into spring training grounds. Uh, but that's not going to happen. And I think the Jacob DeGrom uh, negotiations uh, is evidence of that. Uh, I, I think the Mets' hand is being exposed here. I don't want to transition prematurely, but, you know, if we can't get through this, well, I, I, I don't feel we have any business speaking of Bryce Harper, even if it's in a, you know, joking manner. Uh, Rich, I was talking with somebody on Twitter who thinks it's a terrible idea to sign Jacob DeGrom long-term since he's 31, he's making $17 million right now, uh, and they're probably going to be out of it by the middle of July, and you can just trade him. What do you say to that? Uh, wow, that, that's an interesting one. Um, how did that all come about with, in this Twitter conversation? I missed it. So, How did that all come together? I want to hear some of the backstory. <laughs> well, I'll go find the uh, the mention while while I look at. I just just re- real quickly. Uh, of course, what I'm seeing now on Twitter is that uh, you know the the Phillies to uh, Bryce Harper to Phillies is heating up. Um, it is, but yeah. you know we don't. Yeah, which makes perfect sense since it's been the way for a long time. So uh, I will find that. But yeah, like what 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 do you think of of that? And I'll, I will get you the entire, slightly the entire. It's, ironically, it's Mets no, Nostradamus, GKR oh. fanboy. Okay. Yeah, well, you know what? Not, not that... Metstradamus, not Metstradamus, Mets Nostradamus. <laughs> right. Who will be on, uh, Metstradamus, who will be on later in the show. He will in about 15, 20 minutes. So I know that that he believes that as well. I mean, our own Metstradamus is joining us shortly. He he was a big fan of, you know, signing Bryce to uh, a, if look if he let let his market readjust, sign him to an absurd amount of money for one year, and yes, you do have the option to trade him in the middle of the season if uh, if the Mets are are not going anywhere. So what would be the real investment? You know, the investment would be. If you gave him thirty for one season, and you know, come August, he um, you were you weren't going anywhere. You find somebody to take the salary, which I think most teams would. You're, you're out twenty. Um, like Mike said, you fill the upper deck, you sell a bunch of shirts. But you know what? Th- that's logic talking, right? But stuff like that doesn't happen. I mean, these guys have agents. There's no way his agent would let him do that, sign for one season. I think Harper would have sat out until the middle of March because he knows somebody's going to give him a multi-year deal. And so while it makes some rational sense and some logical sense, the part that we're not factoring in is something Mike said earlier. These guys have agents who are telling them what to do, um, and somebody's going to pay him at some point. So – you don't really see that happen. You don't really see a high-priced free agent wait the market out. Oh my God, I have nowhere to play. It's March 20th. I'll sign somewhere for one for one year. You don't really see that too often, um, and, and especially with a guy like Harper. So, so it's probably not grounded in any kind of reality. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, well, I found it, and um, so GTR fanboy at GTR fanboy 
said, I really hope the Nets not to come to the pressure and sign Jacob DeGrom because it's not what's in the best, best interest of the team. Nothing more, nothing less. If they do give him an extension, it'll be for one reason only, to shut the fans up. Nets DeGrom facts, hashtags. Well, and then I quoted that by saying, well, that would be a lovely and welcome change of pace. Sign Bryce Harper while you're at it. Oh, and hashtag sign Jacob DeGrom to a long-term deal. Uh, would, would be the best interest of the team. He's been the most consistently dominant pitcher on this team for a while now. And, and I should have added quietly, but I don't know whether I had enough. He said, how is that in the best interest for a long-term future of the team when he's going to be 31 in June and the fact that it is highly possible they will be dead in the water come July. Also, they do not have many prospects due to call up for a while. Try not to think with your heart. And I said, I am thinking, I, I think I am thinking with my heart, but I am also thinking about consistency, track record, and team preservation. In, uh, in your theory, Mets just would have let Wright walk since he was on the other side of 30. Even if that contract didn't work out on the field, I wouldn't have done that either. Mike. Jacob DeGrom is in an, in an unfortunate situation. So is Brody Van Wagenen as a former agent and present general manager. Now he's seeing the other side of the fence and what the Wilpons are up against or the situation and condition they created for him in his capacity. Anything, and I do include this year, they'd have to rip up this year's arbitration agreement. Anything above and beyond a four-year contract and a a fifth-year club option would be absurd because of his age. I don't care how healthy he presents himself today. I'm worried about being hampered by a contract down the road. And as a businessman, again, four years, I don't care what the figures are, fifth-year club option, but that has to include this season. Anything above that or beyond that, to me, is unbusiness-wise. And, and right, you know, Rich, we were just talking about these long-term deals not working out. So he is 31. Uh, at 28, you probably would have signed him to a, a seven-year deal that would have brought him to 35. So, yeah, Mike, Mike is sound in that thinking, correct? Yeah, I know. That's a hard one, you know, because the DeGrom thing, look, I, I don't know what to do with that situation if I'm the Mets because – you, if you sign him for five years for, let's just say conservatively, $100 million. So he's making 17 this year, you buy him out of next year, so you sign him now, and um, so you say, look, you, know, you could have gotten 17, 18, 19 you know, if you had a good season in, in arbitration, so we'll take that pressure off, we'll give you 20 next year, 20 for four more years, now you've got this guy to 35, and he might not even take that. But maybe 2022, so maybe you're at 100, 110 for five years. You know, Sam, everything you said, it would be great for the fan base. You know, he deserves it and all of that. Um, but then if you want to be a brutal businessman about it, he's had Tommy John surgery. How often do these long-term deals with pitchers work out? Now, you can look at Scherzer. He's been pretty durable. You know, they gave him, a, I think it was a seven-year deal. I think he's probably in year four now. Uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, so he'll be in your five this year. So, um, so you know, these things can work out, but often they don't. 
you'd be saying, okay, look, you know, when you're 35, we're going to be committed to 22 million for you with a lot more traction on your arm. Um, you want to do it. You want to as a fan. Emotionally, you want to do it. But, you know, and I'll leave you guys with this thought. I'd love to have you both react to it. It's been said about contracts. Are you paying for what somebody has done, or are you paying for what that person will do? Oftentimes, we look at a contract, or or even the, the professionals do it. They look at a contract and they say, well, this guy's done all this stuff. He deserves a contract like this. Okay, maybe. But we have to project out because you're not paying for what the guy did. Now, if you have like a Machado, all his flaws aside, a young man like that, you could realistically project out and say, yeah, you know, he's young enough. In the out years of this contract, he'll give us production. That's a wise thing to do. DeGrom, he's done great stuff. 35-year-old pitcher with Tommy John, is this a wise thing to do for five years? I don't want to be, you know, the the naysayer here. I love the guy. But, I mean, that's a hard question to answer. So let me ask you guys a question. With DeGrom, are you – two-part question – are you thinking emotionally when you say give him the five, six-year deal? Or are you thinking about paying for what he will do versus what he has done? I'd like to get both of your reactions to that. Uh, I believe, yeah, I believe that if, if you're asking the question from the perspective of any free agent, um, then – yeah, you, you, I think that's a whole different story because obviously, yeah, there's a track record and that's why he's getting that, that contract. And you're paying him with the idea that he's going to produce that way, uh, hopefully, uh, even though you understand at this point what the track record is. Um, I think, though, that at the same time, I think we're dealing with a once-in-a-lifetime situation here with the, when it involves the New York Mets. And I think that... Uh, you know, I'm not sure what that means for Jacob and whether he's looking for security till he's 40. Uh, probably not. His agent, I mean, it's, you know, I think both parties, what's crazy is that we also have the person who's negotiating used to negotiate for you. Um, so, and, and you wonder at that point, and then I'll pass it over to you, Mike, whether in some capacity Brody excuses himself in these situations. Good question. Uh, again, I think this situation is exposing their hands. Uh, but to answer Rich's question, I, I stick to my guns. That's emotional as well as business. Four-year deal, guaranteed with the fifth-year club option. If you really want to make them happy and show your appreciation, give them more money. But, you know, their camp is going to have to meet the organization on years. So, uh, so you know, what if he wants that fifth year with a six? I say no. I say no. Okay, because you have to set precedence for other players, and for your 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 operating procedure continually down the line. You know, so uh, a case by case basis is, is fine. I'm welcome to introduce that into the conversation, but in this situation, no. It is what it is. 
you know, and if we want to change the culture, well, sometimes unpopular decisions wind up being the best decisions. Not all the time, but a lot of times. So if, in fact, we're trying to change the culture, well, then you have to make unpopular decisions. Rich, you can take it. But, you know, he's right. I mean, Mike's right. And there's a team impact, too, because if he says, okay, you know what, guys, I'm done. I'm going to play through 2020. Who knows if they would trade him or not, but – and I'm out. You know, if you're not giving me the six years I want, I'm out. The Mets, the Mets would be taking a hit there because there isn't a Noah Syndergaard in AAA ready to come up and take his spot. I mean, maybe. You know, they have a couple of young pitchers that people are pretty excited about. You know, the lower levels of the minor leagues, but this, this person's not going to step in and do what Degrom does. So, you know, the Mets are playing Russian roulette to a degree. But on the other hand, Mike's right. You're setting precedent. You know, for what other players will do. What do you do when, you know, if Rosario has some really good years? What do you do when, when he's, a, a, you know, a, a year or two from free agency? Do you do the same thing and start giving these guys six years, you know, seven years, you know, uh, overextending like that? And, and we all know, as we've been talking about, that those contracts rarely work out. I, I mean, that's – this is a – I would not want to be Brody. And then, like Mike said earlier, like you both said, throw in the fact that he used to represent DeGrom. I mean – this is a mess, guys. This the Grom situation is a mess. What do you do? I, I don't have an answer for it. I, I have a lot of things to think about, but I don't have a recommended path forward. If Brody were sitting next to me right now, I wouldn't have a recommended path forward. Uh, you know, I think I think if if you basically, Mike. Do you give him the fifth year? What if he just wants that fifth year guarantee? And like you said, sorry, sorry, just to clarify, and like you said, including this year. Including this year. If, if they're both comfortable with the dollar figure and if that's going to make or break the deal, then you give it to them. Then you give it to them. But when it comes time to renegotiate a new deal, well, then, you know, that's when you stick it to them and say, listen, we went, you know, we met you. Now you have to represent us as an ambassador of this organization for the rest of your life because you're going to retire a Met if you so desire. And the Mets desperately need something like that, you know? So there has to be a relationship, not just an agreement. There has to be a relationship in order for that to work, a continuing relationship. Uh, how they pull that off, you know, that remains to be seen. But if that fifth year being guaranteed is the maker or breaker of the deal, then you give it to them. But it has to come with, you know, a, a, a stipulation, an asterisk, you know, and say, look, you know, he's a stand-up guy. I'm not bringing his, his character into question by no stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying... He's got to come back and give back to this organization. That's all. In some way, shape, or form. I don't know what, how, where, when. I have no idea. But for as long as they're in complete agreement, I guess I can deal with it. I just don't want to be hampered long term. You know, and if that fifth year can come at a slightly lower price, even better. Maybe that's what I'm getting towards. I don't know. 
It's hard. As Rich, as Rich says, I, I'm, I'm in complete conflict with the situation. But I do know if you want to change the culture, sometimes you've got to make unpopular decisions. It's unfortunate that it happens to be DeGrom who's this line in the sand. Yeah, it, it, it uh, certainly is. But, you know, we'll see what happens over the next uh, while. Because they haven't said, you know, well, if anything, Rich, you know, I, I usually you see in the news when talks get cut off, it's reported on. Well, I, you know, and then you, well, we, I don't, I don't know if they've cut off talks. What I, what I've heard, I know you might not have been referencing this particular situation, but with Degrom, what I've heard is that no offer has been made, and that, you know, that there's a lot of, hey, you know, we'd like to have you be met for life, and Degrom's like, that's great, you know, you don't have to pay me and his agent and all that. But from what I understand, as of a couple of days ago, watching Hot Stove on Thursday, no dollars have been exchanged, and now. Whether or not DeGrom is locked in on his, if it's not done by opening day, it's not going to get done thing, okay? You know, a lot of players have said that, and some have stuck to it and some have not over the years. So um, so as far as I know, if you want to call them negotiations, they're feeling each other out, they're like sparring right now, but nobody's throwing any real punches. That, that's my understanding of the situation. Well, if I may, what I don't like, is Degrom intimating that he might withhold innings? You know, I hate that. Not his. Uh, I, you know, that's best left unsaid. If if that's what you're feeling, fine. I, I don't mind. You're a professional, and this is a business at the end of the day. But you know, keep that to yourself. Fans don't want to hear that. Uh, we put up with the minutia of contract negotiations, but fans just don't want to hear that. Yeah, that's that's for damn sure. Um, well, guys, you know Jacob Degrom is not the only part of uh, of spring training we got going on right now. Um, Rich, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it over to you for uh, for where we go with this. What, what what is first on your mind other than Jacob Degrom when you're thinking about spring training? I'm thinking that there are a lot of. A lot of little things to figure out for this team. Uh, and I, obviously we don't have long enough for me to get into every one of them. I'll, I'll get into a couple. Center field is, is clearly an issue. Is it? Will it be Broxton? Will it be Ligaris? Will it be a combination of both? Will they just you know play by who has better numbers against that, that night's pitcher? Will they try to play them both at times? I mean, if you have Broxton in left and, and Ligaris in center, nothing's falling in, guys. So do they do that late in games? And then what about this? What are they going to do for that fifth outfield position? So are they going to go with a Blanco? Or are they going to go with um, Rajai Davis? Is Ty Kelly real? Uh, is Ty Kelly, God forbid. Um, is Jeff McNeil really going to be an outfielder? So that whole center field and the, and the later impact on their positions, who will start? How will they, nego- they move it around? Will it be Jeff McNeil truly as an outfielder? Um, will they try to start with Davis or Blanco as the fifth outfielder? I think all that is intriguing to me. And now you've got the infield situation. What are they going to do about that? You know, is Frazier going to play first? Is Alonzo going to get called up in mid-April like we've been talking about? They have a real logjam. 
Today they signed Danny Echeverria. He's the only natural shortstop now that they have behind Rosario. Yes, Lowry can play the position, but he hasn't been a full-time shortstop in, in what, six, seven years now. So is Echeverria a guy who's on the roster as the last infielder, or do they try to make a go with it and say, look, Rosario can play basically every day. If he gets hurt or something, we can throw Lowry out there in an emergency, and we'll call Echeverria up the next day. So what's going to happen there depth-wise, Frazier-wise? So – My point in summary is the Mets have depth in a lot of positions. They have a lot of people and a lot of people who are decent ball players, and they have to try to figure out what they're going to do with this. Who starts on the the 25-man roster? Who goes to Syracuse? How do they configure the guys who do make that 25-man roster? I said on Twitter the other day, and I really believe it, the Mets are trying to build a version of the Cubs, you know, which is, and I think that's great. If you look at the Cubs, Ben Zobris plays a different position every day. And, and fine, you know, they're, they, they're all about interchangeable parts. And you look at guys like Hayward, sometimes he's in center, sometimes he's in right. Um, and the Mets, if that's what they're looking to do, how do they sort out these pieces? They have a lot of pieces. And so I think, it'll be, I think this spring is going to be fascinating. To me, those are the storylines. And let me just point out, just to really uh, kind of uh, bask in the glory of this, what I'm about to say, that a lot of those pieces are going to be right up the road in Syracuse, Mike. Isn't that great? I love it. Uh, not for nothing, but Syracuse is going to be really good this year. Look out International League, uh, you know, just to figure out where it's left off. Uh, but that just goes back to Brody Van Wagner's overall work on the 40-man roster, which I believe is – is much improved, uh, as is the 25-man roster, uh, much improved. Um, particularly happy with, with the catching situation. Look, Mesbarocco, it's a matter of perspective. Mesbarocco goes from a marginal starter to an outstanding backup. I love the, sti- I love the signing. I, I hope he is indeed the backup. It's interesting to see what they're going to do with Travis Darno. Uh, but this spring training, more so than 2015, is going to be most interesting of all. Uh, with all the moves, he's transacted. Brody's transacted in, in excess of forty bodies, whether they're coming or going, and that's a lot. So who knows, you know, what's going to happen this spring? But it's going to be interesting uh, to watch it work itself out. Uh, my biggest take from the off season is he facilitated much of it uh, via trading prospects uh, and and uh, other trades and and the money that they departed, they parted with, you know, they didn't increase payroll much, but uh, in lieu of money, we paid a stiff price in prospects, I believe. So that's one way of going about business. And not for nothing, that's part of the reason why you develop prospects and you draft and blah, blah, blah. Not all of them begin to make your team. Some of them you have to part with. Uh, so short term, short term, I, I, I agree with the plan. I guess his drafting is going to dictate how we grade his long-term, certainly like what he did, he's done organizationally. Take it away. So um, I would say, uh, Rich, that they should sign Bryce Harper to be their fifth outfielder and have <laughs> the, some of those names of the guys that uh, you mentioned up in Syracuse. But, but anyway, uh, uh, all joking aside, let's talk about Keon Broxton. Let's get a little specific here. Um, uh, you know, 
it, it, it is interesting that they have these two defense, mostly defensive guys uh, going up who have shown potential uh, in offense in the past but have never been able to, to make it work. That, that is an interesting dynamic that, that is at play. And, and do you really think that they're just going to have both of them on the team at the same time? No. I, I remain convinced that they are going to trade Ligaris in spring training. And, and to a point where, in, in my brain, I, I, I put the odds at 95% Ligaris is traded. Now, I know I said earlier, you know, what will happen with these pieces. That's a potential outcome. A potential outcome could be that before we get to opening day, Ligaris is moved to make some room. And, and you know, something we talk about off, often on these podcasts, yes, it's about making room, but it's also about shedding $9 million. And um, I, I really believe that that's what they'll do. I think they'll, they'll shed the $9 million there and say, okay, sometimes we'll go with Nimmo, McNeil, and Conforto. Sometimes we'll go with Broxton, McNeil, and Conforto. But in either event, we don't need to be paying a part-time player $9 million. And, and you could scream, and people will on Twitter if they ever traded Ligaris about this isn't the way a New York team should operate and blah, 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 blah. Okay, maybe that's right. Who cares? I do, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, I do think that that's what they will do. I think they see a $9 million part-time player. They see a young guy like Broxton who's probably making not much more than the major league minimum, and they're like, okay. We'll find a taker for Ligaris, maybe bring back a bullpen arm, and done with it. That's what I think will happen. My I, I really hope, uh, just the way you, you put that together, I really hope that's exactly how it went in the boardroom. <laughs> with Jeff Wilson and bop. the guys. <laughs> yeah, just pop a pop a pop. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Mike, I mean, that's that that just basically does it. Does, you know, and and... and here is where you can't necessarily fault them. I mean, we love Ligaris, but just like, uh, you know, Mr. Metz Nostradamus is saying, you have to not always think with your heart. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I, I would say the younger you are, the harder it is to do, and the older you are, the easier it is to do. I don't know. Maybe that's a generational thing. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but outfield is certainly going to be interesting. Uh what what to say? It is what it is. I had some, I, I had something to say, and I'm just completely spacing on it right now. Uh, oh, but it, it does remind me somewhat of the 2000 Mets with that outfield. Uh, they're going to be over overly reliant this year from offense, uh, you know, from uh, guys in the infield and behind the plate. Now, if Alonzo comes through, and, and we get improvement out of third base, and Rosario continues to improve, and we get something out of Cano. You know, there will be a lot of similarities with the twenty, uh, the 2000 team. So uh, Robinson Cano uh, had, you know, some stuff to say. I, I, it's just, it's always these headlines, though, Rich, that, you know, you, it's just the, the fans are going to react a certain way to them. And when you see Cano feels like he's a 25-year-old man again, it's like, don't you just roll your eyes, Rich? <laughs> you know, it's like as much, you know, I, I, I really hope that he performs great. And I, I do believe he will. Hopefully he's not, he's, you know, he, he's not just another older star player to come to the Mets that doesn't work out. But uh, it's just, you know, until, until we get that championship, we're, we're going to be cynical. Well, 
you know, here it is, February 17th. So since, since October 1st, what Robinson Cano has probably done is some light baseball activities. He's been down, down there for a couple of days. He's probably done some quad stretches, some hamstring stretches. He's thrown in the outfield a little bit to get the arm loosened up. Of course he feels 25. You know, I mean, he hasn't done anything. Um, but the true test is going to be in July when the guys played for three months in the heat at, you know, at 35. What's he going to give us then? It's easy to feel 25 now. Um, so maybe he does, but, but I, you know, to me, that, that's, like a, that's a trite statement. We'll see how he feels and how he's performing in the middle of the season. And, um, and that's not to say I think managed correctly, I think Cano can be an asset for this team. Uh, and if, did you guys hear Van Wagenen on with Francesa last Monday? Did you guys hear that? No, I didn't hear it. Okay, so I, I was glued to it. And so, and of course, Mike was being rude as hell, but, but, and, and Van Wagenen handled it very well. And so he said, look, I want to play Cano 130 day, 30 games. And then Francesa went, the guy's played 150, 155 his whole career then when he was suspended. And, you know, what are, you, what are you doing that for? That's not why you got it. And he's like, look, Mike, Mike, I'm trying to get the most I can out of every player on my roster. We feel as though at 35 we will get the most out of Cano if we play him about 130 games a year. That is perfectly sensible to me. And, and now it's up to the Mets to manage that. Um, they have that's, to manage. Yeah, that, that sounds great. That does sound great. And did he go? Did he go, uh, Mike? 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 Did he cut him off like that too? <laughs> Mike, listen. <laughs> Mike, what day is it? Mike? 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 Um, no. So, um, so Francesca got all over him for that. Um, he got all over him when, when Brody said, "I do think we have a contending team," and, and you do. This is a good baseball team. Is it necessarily a playoff team? Who the hell knows? But it's a it's a good baseball team with a good roster. He's done a good job, and and so he got on, on his case for that. He got on his case for when he talked about you know having movable parts, you know, because Frances is old school. You know, you have you have the the center fielder, the lead off guy. Yeah. Why is that not a Why is that not a rational thing to say that Robinson Cano is coming off a suspension? He played some games at the end of the year, and now he's a thirty six year old man. What, what, like, like Mike gets Mike should get that. He's been around sports long enough to to understand. Look, he's bringing and and another infielder came in today, Danny Hetcheveria. Uh, like we were saying, you know, it it it's there's people to spell these guys right now. Right, and you get the most out of your forty man. Brody kept saying that. He kept saying, "I've got a forty man roster I'm going to work with. I'm going to get the most out of these guys, and if it means like Nimmo." Nimmo sits against a tough lefty. Maybe Conforto sits against a tough lefty. I've got Lagaris and Broxton. We might have Lagaris. I could talk about it earlier, but anyway, I've got Lagaris and Broxton. I could put two righty bats out there against tough lefty. I'm going to make. He's like, I'm going to use my entire team, my entire 40-man roster, to the best of my ability, and customize it to the player. You know, Wilson Ramos. The guy has an injury history. You get 120 games out of him. That's great. And, and the way you get 120 games is you have a Mezzarocco or, or a Darno, whoever it is, and you give these guys 40 starts. You give Cano 32 games off. This is the kind of thing. Maybe you move Frazier around. Maybe Lowry. And, oh, he also said about Lowry. He said, well, I, I plan to get Lowry, um, you know, five, uh, four to 500 at-bats. And Francis like, where are you going to get him from? You've got Frazier. You're going to bring up Alonzo. You've got, you've got outfielders. We're going to get these at-bats from McNeil. And he was all over him. And Brody kept saying, look, as the season goes along, 
Guys get hurt. Things happen. You can find at bats if you have versatile players and you do and you play matchup ball. And that's what he intends to do. And as far as I'm concerned, what in the hell is wrong with that? Look at the Cubs. That's what they do. They're consistently competitive with that exact philosophy. You match up the players, give you the best chance to win that game, and the byproduct of that is guys are getting days off, they're staying fresher. I think it's perfectly sensible. Mike? Can't add much more to that. He is, in fact, doing a good job. I grant him that. And uh, very creative. We said that, you know, uh, on the onset, during the onset of winter. This is going to be a test in his creativity. And, you know, I, I think he's done a good job. And the 40 man is what I'm focused on, and as well as he, and I think he's, you know, done a tremendous job. Uh, the only thing is that this whole DeGrom situation, to me, somewhat is exposing ownership. You know, they brought in a new sales pitch man, which is Birdie, and he's young and energetic, and he's changing the message or the delivery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But behind the curtain is still that guy pulling the levers. And, and I just feel that the Grom situation is exposing that uh, for as much as they're trying to hide it. Otherwise, I'm with Rich and, and I'm quite content with the changes that uh, he, he's made to the 40 man under the conditions that he has to work with because, again, he hasn't greatly increased payroll by no stretch of the imagination but it's been an effective offseason nonetheless. That being said, the Mets have won, you know, offseasons before. So it's just going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm on his side. He's won me over. I was very skeptical at first because, uh, like I pointed out, I guess, podcasts ago, that he, he and Jeff have a prior relationship. They're buddies. And I was a bit against that but he's won me over with the, the work that he's done during the winter. So I'm cool. I'm very cool. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. I'm cool. <laughs> like Fonzie would say. <laughs> Sam? Sam, are you cool? Sam? Hey, hey, sorry, sorry. I, I uh, had a te- had a technological glitch once more while I was trying to introduce. I, I, I had a great setup for you, Mr. Thomas. You you should have heard everything I said while I was muted. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate the uh, kind words and my apologies for coming in like a diva at the end of the podcast and just uh, and and uh, just coming in at the end uh, fashionably late. Uh, but well, if I, I, I think glad, I have a we're glad to have, to, to uh, get you on board, man. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Coppinger. Thank you. I'm much appreciated as always. No, I was going to say, if, if I get the gist of what, of what uh, I've heard so far, it's, uh, you, you know, listen, we can't get on Brody for bringing all these guys in when we complain that there was a lack of depth last year that the the depth was paper thin and it was paper thin last year but this year listen that there's options at every position you know Jed Lowry is a great signing for no other reason than that now we have another shortstop on the roster outside of Rosario so they seem to have thought 
about everything. You know, even so you look at center field now, which was a vast wasteland, but now if, if what they say is true and McNeil is going to get regular reps in the outfield and have Nimmo go to center, then that's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, as long as you – and I hate making guys super utility guys because a lot of times with, in the Mets' cases, it's stunt, it, it has stunted uh, players' growth as hitters. Uh, Murphy, I, I think that happened to Murphy. I think that happened to an extent with Duda. I think that, and that's what happened to an extent with Justin Turner also. But as long as McNeil is going to get regular reps in the outfield right from jump, right from the beginning of spring training, I think that could work too. You know, and, and I'm one of these guys that I, I still want to see this team play games. I don't think we can judge the Brody era by winning an offseason like, like, you, like you guys have said. I want to see them play games. I want to see how this is all put together. But Brody, what Brody did do was address one of the weaknesses in the recent past of the Mets, and that's having no depth and having a paper-thin roster. Uh, I, I would do, there's one more move that I would make that uh, the last time I was here we talked about, and we can get into that later. I still would, would think about trading Frazier for Kashner and having, creating more depth as a start, as a, on the uh, rotation and having enough guys on and still having enough guys on the infield. But I think what Brody's done now, if this is the end, I think it's acceptable. Acceptable. Uh, you know, obviously you should have heard how many times we said Bryce Harper at the beginning of the, uh, the show, but we're not, we weren't exactly, we know it's not happening, but we're saying how yeah. much buzz it would uh, all of a sudden everybody would be talking about the Mets across baseball. It would be a news story, you know, on, on the morning shows uh, people would be talking about, and might, maybe it would just be the off season, but it would generate revenue immediately. It would generate, generate revenue immediately. And it sometimes boggles my mind to think about it because I, I, I see where the real funds are coming from, John, but at the same time, I I do think it makes all the world of sense for a franchise that could you like imagine like the players and, and Bryce Harper just walks into spring training right now. Yeah, oh, I agree with you. It, it energizes the roster for sure, and it it brings a buzz to the locker room. And you're right; it would create revenue off off the bat because you're going to have a lot of walk up ticket sales. You're going to have more, maybe even more plans that are bought in the middle of the season once this thing starts going. And you know how I feel. I've, I've said it before. One year, $40 million, there's no harm in making the offer. Even if the Boris Harper camp doesn't take it, as long as it gets out, then we know, oh, okay, you really did try to do something a little different. But we haven't heard that buzz. We haven't heard that interest. And I think that's what frustrates Met fans, especially the Met fans like, uh, like I assume most of us are, have been around from the 80s when you, had, uh, when you had Frank Cashin building a team to win with the express purpose to win. I don't think this – I think this team is built to win but not dominate. You know, for, Cashin built his teams to dominate, and we, re, and we remember that. And for that to turn around into what it is now – it's fine, but it, it is a little frustrating. I certainly get it. Now, I think the problem 
is that you have most of the teams in Major League Baseball now have adopted that strategy, albeit for a different reason, in terms of being uh, it being frugal and, and depending on the algorithms. And while I think it's organic and it's not collusion, I do think it's going to lead to some sort of work stoppage down the line unless uh, somebody comes up with a brilliant idea. And I think that that's unfortunate. But that's I got off on a tangent there. No, no, you brought up a lot of great points about the entire thing. I mean, I'm looking at the, the roster right now, and this is certainly a well-rounded team on paper as we can see it here. Uh, but, yeah, you, you know, even the, the Nationals teams that Bryce Harper have been on have been slightly built to dominate, but unfortunately they couldn't figure all their, their shit out when it was, uh, when, you know, the time came at the end. Um, but, Rich, you know, we're... I'm just going to pass it over to you for so many different uh, points that that Sean brought up, and and you know take us take us around some of uh, some of the, the the ideas that he just mentioned. Well, you know I, I think he's right. I, I think this team is meant to compete now. It might not be a dominant team, and and, and I think that's part of what Francesa and, and Van Wagenen talked about. Is he said, you know. Francesca tried to put words in Brody's mouth when he and when Brody said, "Well, we've done a lot of things. We have a lot of players. Bryce Harper's not in our plans." And so Francesca, of course, turned that around to say, "Well, you're telling me you don't have room for a Bryce Harper. That that's ridiculous. How can you not have room?" And that's not what Van Wagenen said. He said, "Based on this, the team that I inherited, and I had work to do. Right? I felt like it was better." to spread the money around, to spread the moves around, to address multiple holes, then put not all but a lot of eggs in one basket to bring in a Machado or Harper. And to me, that's a very well-reasoned, very rational opinion to have. If the Mets signed Harper, and we all wanted them to, of course we did, but if they sign Harper, I don't care if you're the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, if you sign a player like that for that kind of money, it does inhibit other things you can do. To what degree, who knows, but it does inhibit them. And the Mets had a lot of holes, and Bryce Harper wasn't going to fill all those holes. Bryce Harper wasn't going to remake the bullpen. Bryce Harper wasn't going to add depth to this team that, as John said, was paper thin, you know, as thin as a New York-style pizza. They had to do these things. And there's no way you could have done all these things that they've done and and sign Harper. I, I just don't think it's it's realistic. It's not even realistic for the Yankees. The Yankees didn't even check in on this guy. So, so the team is built to compete now. It's thin because we all know the minor leagues are, are not you know bountiful, so they have to address that. And Mike said, you know, we'll evaluate Brody's long-term plan based on his drafting and how he how he does that. Is he going to address that as a, an ongoing thing? He certainly has to. But given where this team was at the end of 2018, and you can even go back to 17. We all know what the problems were. Paper thin could not withstand one injury. You had an injury, and who did you have out there? You had Ty Kelly playing for you, okay? And that's not acceptable. So they had to make a whole bunch of moves with the resources they had, and he did it. And and as far as I'm concerned, it's okay. He did a good job. And I'm I'm looking right now. I'm just going to share this with you. I I happen to see on Twitter, Mets minor league deals this offseason, okay? Luis Avalon, good situational lefty. Devin Mezzarocco, we know him. They need a depth behind the plate. Hector Santiago, bullpen guy, maybe fifth starter, who knows. Rajai Davis, Gregor Blanco, 
guys with significant major league experience who can step in in the outfield in a pinch. Adani Echeverria, Danny Espinoza. None of those moves, not one of them, on its face is going to make anybody jump up and down. They're not sexy. Those moves had to be made to address the glaring depth issue. So that's where I am. I mean, I, I would it have been nice to sign Harper and Machado? Yeah, I would have run out and bought the jerseys too. I would have been thrilled. But only certain things could be done. You can't do everything. And he went down the path of addressing multiple, multiple needs with the resources he had. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the guy did a damn good job. That's my two cents. John, what, what is your? I mean, what is your take on on you know the uh, overall job? What grade would you give Brody for his first off season? And, and what do you think he needs? He is looking for in spring training right now. Well, I would definitely give him a solid B. You know, like I said, I think, uh, and like Rich said, you you have to give him credit for creating a roster and a system that has a little depth. Uh, I would say the one bad, if I had to, to give a reason for the downgrade, it isn't even not signing Bryce Harper. Cause like, like Rich said, you know, you can't do everything. And, you know, while I, while I thought maybe a one year deal for Harper on top of everything that Brody's done might've been plausible, certainly not a 10 year, 350 million, or even a seven year, $235 million deal that wouldn't have been feasible along with everything else. So I'd definitely give him a B. The one thing that worries me is, is getting rid of Kellenic. That's the one thing that's going to bug me until we know what he's about and until we know what Diaz is about. But I think with the depth that's been created, I think you have to give Brody a lot of credit. In terms of what he's looking for in spring training, I think just how everybody acclimates to their roles, their new roles, I, I want to see what uh, – what Jeff McNeil is all about in the outfield, I think that's the biggest thing I want to see, especially if he's going to get a ton of at-bats out there. I certainly want to see what Peter Alonzo can do in spring training, if he could, if he could pull off the impossible and get a, an invite to the major league team from jump, from opening day. I think those are the two big things I'm looking for. Yeah, I think those are all rational things to be looking for here. Um, Mike, uh, we haven't heard from you since uh, Me- uh, since Metrodamus joined us. What do you think? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I have to put any kind of grade on on BBW in context. If he was working for, say, the Phillies, who came out and said, "I want to spend stupid money," well, then Brody gets an F. But considering he's working for the Mets, I agree with John. A strong B, strong B plus. I might even give him an A minus based on his creativity. Like I said, there's been an excess of 40 players transacted throughout the winter time. Some gone, some incoming. Uh, that, that's a lot. You know, that's shaking up the barrel. Uh, and again, sometimes the most effective decisions aren't the most popular. And he's really rattled the cage, and it's just a matter of waiting, seeing how this all plays out. So, considering that he works for this ownership, uh, I, I, I grade him very well for his off season. Now these guys just have to put it all into application between the lines. So here's where I'll loop back around, uh, Rich. 
you know, what we're talking about, you know, the roster, you know, what the job he's done is acceptable. Uh, uh, you know, because he's working for the Mets, this is what I give him. Is is it is there an extent that the Wilpons and just even the brand understands their brand, and and I I brought this up before, plays into the you gotta believe the hope the the hope springs eternal and just the idea of them being a scrappy baseball team that's always gonna try to do better than they should. Well. That, that's kind of where they are, right? That, that's the brand they have right now. The brand is we're putting together a versatile team, a, a deep team. We have great, we have a great starting pitching staff, and you know, that, that's the brand right now. And, and I like what where John went earlier because I haven't really thought about that too much about how cash and built teams to dominate. Well, this team isn't that. This team isn't strawberry good and blah, blah, blah. It's not that. But but this is a team that they're trying to sell as we're going to be fun. You know, our pitchings, we're, we should not have a long losing streak because our pitching really shouldn't allow that. Um, we're going to be a fun team with, of versatile players, of, of, you know, scrappy players. What, what did Brody say? Hiring Chili Davis. We're not going to try to hit home runs. That'll be an outcome. That'll be, you know, a, a, an offshoot, but we're going to take a good approach. We're, we're going to get good pitches to hit. We're going to emphasize getting on base. We're going to do those things. So, yeah, it's not the dominating team that, you know, could bludgeon you to death. They're, that's all they're talking about. You know, they, Brody said it with Francesa. You know, we're going to grind out at bats. We're going to get on base. We're going to do those things. Chile's going to reinforce that. So it's more of a working man's team than it is a a behemoth kind of a team. And um, and I don't know that they're really the organization really isn't branding that to my knowledge. And when Brody's on with Francesa, he'll say it. He'll talk about the philosophy. They aren't putting a slogan like they used to do on Shea, you know, come have your kids meet our kids or baseball like it ought to be. They're not doing that as an organization. But when they talk about themselves, they talk about themselves as sort of the working man's team as opposed to the team chock full of superstars. So from a branding perspective, albeit a bit informal, I think that is where they're going. Can I jump in? And John, sure. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Sure. Uh, but let me frame it. I let just, me frame it in, in the. Uh, let me frame it uh, first to you too. That with what Rich said, I, I was also uh, meaning more along the lines of, let's say, you know, Jeff Wilpon once gave an under underdog shirt out. You know, it, that that's what I'm I'm wondering too. Is is that they've been playing this game because of Bernie Madoff or the fact that they weren't any good at it even when they had money. Uh, to begin with, uh, for a very long time. Do you know? Do, do you think they understand that uh, this brand goes all the way back to 1962 in some of that scrappy way? Oh, I I think it even goes back further. I think it goes back to uh, the Dodgers of the 40s and 50s. Them bums. We'll get them next year. You know, this family that owns the, the family that owns this team is very well aware of the history of the Dodgers and how they even marketed themselves or were marketed because nobody really marketed uh, a team back then. We didn't have, um, you know, brand executives back in the forties and fifties, but that's what the Dodgers seemed to be known as. That was the, the, the scrappy underdog team uh, that, that was always, we'll get them next year. And I always thought that that was a dangerous road to ride on or to drive on, because if that's, 
if you accept that as an organization, then I think you're behind the eight ball. Um, so, but yes, I, I do think that it goes back even further that far. But I do want to say uh, to Rich, thank you. Thank you for bringing up Chili Davis because I think that's going to be a huge, huge storyline for not just spring training, but for this season. We all know what happened, you know, that there was a little um, uh, divide of philosophies between Davis and some of the Cubs roster, most notably Chris Bryant, who struggled under Davis. You know, these guys were about launch angle. Davis isn't about launch angle. I think there are certain guys on this roster that immediately will take to Davis. McNeil, Brandon Nimmo. I think they're going to be straight-A students under Davis. I think the question is who's going to be, how is the rest of the roster, how is the rest of the lineup going to take to Davis's teachings? And I think how they respond to Chile is going to go a long way in telling the story of how, of how many runs they score and how much support the starting staff gets. That's a great point. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, I, I want to loop back over to you with all, all of this, but, if, you know, let's start with Chili Davis. I think a lot of great points were made there that, you know, the hitting philosophy of this team just seemed a little off and under Sandy Alderson. Even, even outdated, I would even say, because of that whole money ball, you know, move, move walk over to second and then hit a three-run home run. Um, and, and we started seeing it once Sandy Alderson went away. We, even with Callaway, we started seeing a different type of philosophy before Brody came in here. And now Brody is saying these types of things uh, in the press. So uh, we're, we're, what is your take? Where do you go from here? We know he revamped the Mets analytical department, which wasn't hard to do considering they only had reportedly, you know, three people in it. Uh, but, I love. I'm only going to layer on top of what you guys already said about the coaching staff. I love the incoming uh, hiring of Chili Davis on top of Dave Island. I think it's a great, uh, great coaching staff. I really do. Uh, and you bring in uh, the bench, bench coach addition. So you know, Mickey Mickey Callaway has a, a tremendous staff behind him. Uh, I just like to ignite the conversation about him being on the hot seat. Mickey Callaway, take it away. Definitely now that he has a bench coach and a new general manager, I think just by default he'll have, uh, he'll, he'll have uh, the seats a little warm under him. I don't, I don't think he's under any imminent danger, but certainly there's going to be more focus on him this year than last. Well, I think he handled it a lot better post-June. And June just seemed to be where the pendulum you know, swang, uh, swung the other way a little too much. Uh, Rich, what, what do you think about that? Let's let's go with the hot seat. Well, I, I I think there's no question Mickey's on the hot seat. I think if if this team at after 81 games is 40 and 41, and they're you know nine games out, I think he's gone. I, I really do, for all the obvious reasons. He's not Brody's guy. Brody didn't bring him in here. Brody has thrown the gauntlet down. You know, he's not saying, hey, look. We're rebuilding, hang in there with us. He's saying, no, 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 no. He's saying, we're competitive now. He's actually gone so far as to say they're the team to beat and all that kind of stuff. So if things aren't playing out the way he expects them, you know, that there aren't three major injuries to the pitching staff on top of it, 
uh, where the, it, the team just isn't winning and they're basically healthy but not winning, I, I think he's gone. If they're not, if they're not 500 at the, at the 81 game mark, I think he's out because I think Brody will do anything to make this team competitive. And, and if he feels like a change in the front off, he's not going to care. He doesn't care about Mickey Calloway. You know, if it's going to take a change in the front, in the uh, in the manager's seat to get that done, if he feels like that would have an impact, he'll he'll grab one of his guys and and put that guy in there while there's still half a season to go. So I think Mickey is on a short lease, and I like Mickey. I, I hope he gets off to a good start. I hope they're doing well at the All Star break, and he's able to finish this thing out and bring the team to the playoffs. That's what I want to see happen. But if they're under 500 at the halfway point, I, I don't know what you guys think, but Think about where Brody has set the level of expectation and what that would mean and the fact that he's not Brody's guy. I can't see him surviving that. Rich, I agree a million percent, and I believe he's aggressive enough and confident enough to do it and follow through on a firing. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I I think I give him I give him a little longer leash. I, I don't think that there's going to be that quick a, quick a trigger at, at, say, 40 and 41. Not that I would disagree with it. I, I would like the aggressiveness of that as opposed to letting Terry Collins go maybe a year or two past, past where he should have been. So I wouldn't disagree if, if he was fired at 40 and 41. I would like the aggression. I, I, just, I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the benchmark. I think it might be a little lower. I think it might be if it's, like, say, 35 and 47 then I would say definitely is gone. But hanging around 400, right. I, I, I think maybe he gets till the end of the season. Well, you know. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, Jim – no, I was just going to say that Jim Riddleman would most likely be the one to take over, right, Mike? Uh, short term, sure. I'm sure uh, Brody would seek a, a new manager in the offseason. But I just want to reiterate, uh, Calloway does have a good coaching staff behind him. So, Rich, what do you think about uh, the job Mickey Calloway is about to do? I mean, you know, after – is he really going to have a sophomore slump after such a, you know, freshman fritz or whatever? <laughs> do they have a term for it? Well, look at last year, right? So, while the lineup card thing, that's never going to go away. Francesca got on Calloway for that when, when he had uh, Wilpon and, and Brody and, and, and Mickey in, in the studio back, I think it was November, December. And that's never going to go away. That's always going to follow him around. But it was one game, okay. The team, the epically bad June, I think the actual numbers were, I think they were 5-23 and 23 or something like that, something very close to that in June. I don't even know how that happens, but the, the epically bad June. But you give the guy a little bit of a pass because of the injuries. You know, they counted on Jay Bruce, whether you like the guy or not, and Jay Bruce was hurt. So, okay, you had that. You had Cindergard was out the entire month with the finger thing. And, and so he had some key injuries to the team, and he got his, okay, look, that they played very well. They were 44-37 and 37 in the second half. So great, right? September they had the best record in Major League Baseball, nineteen and ten. And I don't, and don't tell me that it doesn't count. Yes, it counts. Major League games they count. They played against Major League teams who were, who were several of them were in the hunt, so those games count. So there were a few positives, right? But now, I think the training wheels are off for Brody. 
this is a remade roster with an aggressive general manager. And so, Sam, to your question about the job he's about to do, okay, you know, we gave you a pass in year one because a couple of things went right, a lot of things went wrong. Okay. The, I, in my opinion, like I said earlier, the bar is a lot higher now. The expectations are higher. He's the, Some of the crap he pulled last year, whether the lineup card, I think more than the lineup card, some of the games where he made these weird moves and he would say after, after in the press conference that, well, I, wanted, I didn't want their guy to be announced in the game because I wanted them to have him later because I know I had a better matchup. Come on, Brody. I mean, come on, Mickey. You screwed it up. You, you, you jumped the gun on it. You didn't make the other manager announce his player in to cost him a player. Come on. So all that is over now. You know, that was your – you learned, you made your mistakes, learned from your mistakes. Now there's a solid coaching staff around him, so he's got the support, and he's got the roster, and if he doesn't deliver – you're in the big leagues now, bud. Expectations are high. So, again, I go back to it. He's going to be under a lot of pressure. I really believe it. Yeah, it, uh, it seems about that way, but why not? Uh, you know, when you look at this team, there is no reason why uh, things couldn't potentially come together. Uh, so, John, where do you see this team uh, being? Uh, overall, where, where, where do you let's let's throw a number out there right now? Even though I kind of hate predictions, <laughs> but <laughs> what kind of wins do you think they're going to they're going to have? And keep that in mind that we're talking about Brody being aggressive general manager, and he's going to have his first trade deadline coming up. Obviously, depending on where the team is. Uh, I uh, I'm put a gun to my head right now with this roster and and only because I think the rest of the division is going to be very competitive whether Bryce signs with Washington or Philly or not. I'm going to be conservative and say 85. Um, but the one thing I do want to say, uh, in res- uh, again, in response to Rich, is that I, I guess I'm still a little bullish on Callaway. I do think he's going to be a lot better off, um, like Mike said, He's going to be a lot better off with a better coaching staff. I, I think a lot of what happened, um, like, like the, the lineup card thing, that was, that was a one-off. That was stupidity. And what a lot of people have said is that that's the bench coach's responsibility. So I lay that on Dee Sarcina, first year as a bench coach. I lay that on him. The, the, the changing pitchers before a pinch hitter is announced, that bothered me actually a lot more than the lineup card, and especially that it happened twice during the season. Hopefully he's learned from that, but I'm bullish on Callaway because he is a disciple of Terry Francona. And if anybody understands about getting off to a slow start as a manager, it's Terry Francona who was very mediocre with the Phillies. And then all of a sudden became a genius with the Red Sox and the Indians. So that, and I think that might be clouding my judgment in terms of Callaway that I think they will stick with him past midseason, I think that they, that they do see a little bit in him, and I think the Wilpons will make that clear to Brody um, to, uh, to kind of lay, lay loose with him in the middle of the season. But it, when you look at their roster and when you look at the, the fact that I do think that Callaway is going to improve, I'm going to say 85. I'm going to be conservative. Let's see. But like you said, Sam, let's see where they're at after the trade deadline. Yeah, and if you see them as an 85-win team right now, and I'll uh, move it over to you, Rich, on this one, um, 
Like, is, are, are we expecting that, yeah, you know what, Brody, if, if they're hovering, if they're 85-win team means they're in contention. So uh, that could easily go to 90 games or 100 if he wants to make it so. Well, I see them at 88 right now, so I'm not too far off from what John said. Um, and at 88, you're right in there for the division, and you, you, you're you right in there for a wild card. You probably should get it. But the thing about it is, if you're tracking to 88, I think to your question, Sam, will Brody be aggressive at the deadline and bring in you know a needed piece, whatever that piece might be, and my answer to that is yes, if he has the pieces to, to make trades with. You know, obviously, typically at the deadline, you see top quality prospects, or, or at least quality prospects, go for established major leaguers might be in the in the last year of their contracts. Well, do the Mets have that to offer? I don't know if they have prospects to offer. Maybe they can they can make a trade with you know somebody off the major league roster to find a, a missing piece. But to answer your question, yes, I do think they would be very aggressive if they're tracking and they look like they're in contention. Why would this man's aggressiveness stop then? And I think it would only increase. So I think he'll do everything possible to get them in the postseason. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I think the National League East is going to beat the hell out of each other. Now, we know, positionally speaking, the Mets are going to be deep and they're going to be confident, or at least that's what we hope. So it falls on the pitching. And, you know, can we sustain injury to the starting rotation? That remains to be seen. I think that's still the biggest question mark. But if we get health out of the big four, if they all can get at least between, you know, 27 to 30 starts, uh, we'll be in really, really good shape. So without making a good prediction, uh, I expect to be ahead uh, on – no, I shouldn't say expect. I hope to be on the winning side of a lot of uh, close games. Uh, can we sustain injury to the pitching? Uh, and I'm terribly excited for the season ahead uh, of Zach Wheeler. Just figure out throw that in there. Terribly excited. I'm anticipating something great from him this season. And with that, I uh, will segue over to, last but not least, Tim Tebow. Uh, <laughs> Tim Tebow will most likely... Tim Tim Tebow will most likely uh, will most likely be in AAA, which will be Syracuse. Uh, after all, Rich. So, um, okay. <laughs> Everybody likes. To, I, I actually really liked what uh, the point Anthony DeComo made about how he's a story. People want to come see him, and we're going to write about it. Now, on top of that, he's actually been having some success, and he didn't have to switch on a dime like Michael Jordan did, or hope he most likely won't switch on a dime. You know, a lot of of going back if we're if we're comparing multi multi sport athletes, uh, Michael Jordan was hitting pretty solidly when the strike. Uh, went down in double A and he started in double A at age 32. So Tim Tebow's actually been getting some, some reps in the minor league, getting back into baseball. It actually might be feasible. And, and who knows how, well, and, and here's how I frame the fact that he hasn't really been getting much athletic uh, uh, other than just working out and staying in shape in general. 
he hasn't been playing games in football uh, for that as many years as he he was, and he was generally not really you know eventually he he, he was hardly starting. So it could be feasible that Tim Tebow makes him in baseball. I, I know everybody likes to think this is a joke and that that it's just another reason why the Mets are a joke. But he it's a good thing for the organization that he puts people in the seats, that he puts butts in the seats. And he's going to be getting people most likely in AAA up there. Is that to me? Yes, yes that was to you. Okay, okay. All right, thank you. Um, so I agree with you. I, I don't see anything, any harm with Tim Tebow being with the team, first of all, because, A, you're right. He had a press conference yes, or yesterday, the day before, when he arrived. I mean, he, he brings attention to the New York Mets. When they're playing in Port St. Lucie or wherever they're playing in Florida, people want to see him play. So you're selling tickets. And, and, and so if you're going to tell me the harm is he's taking – give me the name of this prospect, this great young prospect <laughs> who isn't playing because Tebow's playing. I'll sit here and wait for that name, okay, because it isn't, there isn't one. He, I think it's George, George Stampolinakis, or how, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, George Theodore. Yeah, we'll go with George Theodore, the stork, right? <laughs> so the remake of George Theodore. So the thing about it is he's not taking anybody's spot. He's bringing attention to the team. He's selling tickets. And what is he doing? My opinion, if he makes it as a September call-up someday, maybe, but I don't think he's ever really going to make it, at least my opinion. But the thing about it is, He's setting a good example for these kids. He's like, look, I bust my ass here. You know, I was a football player. It didn't work out. I'm working really hard to become a baseball player. These kids look up to him. You know, what is he, 29, 30 years old? They look up to him, and they say, okay, here's a guy who's a two-sport guy, and to try to make it in baseball at his age, he's working hard. He's doing things he has to do. He's in great shape. He plays the game hard. Okay, you know, if he brings that intangible and sets that tone for these young kids, he is giving you something back. He's not just selling tickets. He is giving you something back. What in the hell is the harm with having this guy? I don't see the problem. I think it's great, personally. John, before I pass it over to you, I'm going to read uh, this page from from the, uh, the Mets News. It's probably, uh, yep, Anthony DiComo wrote it. Uh, last autumn, former University of Florida football coach Steve Spurrier reached out to Tim Tebow with what the latter described as an awesome and humbling offer. Come play quarterback for a team in the fledgling alliance of American football, an upstart league they debuted this month. Multiple times, Spurrier called multiple times. Tebow respectfully declined. It wasn't very hard, Tebow said Saturday afternoon upon reporting the Mets camp for his third spring training. I'm all in on baseball. John. I believe him, certainly for the reason that when you look at Tebow from year one to year two, year one, he looked like a football player. He had the big broad shoulders, he had the big arms, and he looked very mechanical. He, he looked like a, like a zero-level player in MLB The Show, okay? But now you look at him 2018, he looked more like a baseball player. His physique was more fluid uh, and more like a baby, I don't think he could even play football now if he wanted to because of that. So, yeah, I do think it's an easy choice. And it, and it goes to what I was actually going to say about Tebow. I don't think there's any harm in it because I think, in my estimation, looking from the outside, Tim Tebow's uh, intentions 
are genuine. Everybody kept saying it's a publicity stunt by him. And, and yeah, I think on the Mets part in the beginning, sure, it was definitely a publicity stunt. Was it – could you label it as a joke in the beginning? Absolutely, because it, it was ridiculous when it first happened. But Tebow's intentions were genuine. He works hard. He rides the buses. He's one of the guys, and he's committed to make this work. So I – so just from that standpoint alone, I have got no problem – with Tim Tebow having a professional baseball career, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, I will say this. If Tim Tebow does make it up as a September call-up after all of the outfielders that Brody signed, then we have a <laughs> lot – we have much bigger problems than whether Tim Tebow is in it for the publicity or not. Mike, well, I mean, he got uh, invited to Major League Camp. What if he makes the team? <laughs> After what John said, I can't add any more. He truly is the litmus paper in the room. Uh, but like what Rich said, look, there's a lot of people on planet Earth who can't say they've batted 273 in 84 double A games. You know, there's a lot of people who can't say that. Uh, this is a situation that's easily readily available for mockery, but I won't go there. Uh, it is what it is. If he wasn't with the Mets, he'd definitely be somewhere else. So, you know, power, more power to him. You know, and like John says, if he actually makes the Mets one day, that just, well, <laughs> that, that says a lot. Now, listen, though, you know, uh, like I said, though, let's <laughs> just, Throw it out there, Rich. Uh, Tim Tebow is in Major League Camp. And what if Tim Tebow is a Major League Phenom? So you mean he hits 500 in spring training and they have to make a decision, something like that? Like the natural. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think what they would do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think if he hit 750 this spring, he still wouldn't make the team. I think what they would say is, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's new to you, so AAA. And if you do own AAA, Super we'll talk two, about baby. It. Super two. So yeah, there you go. Um, so th- that's what I think. I, I think real. I don't care what he does in spring training. He has no chance of making the team. And the best he can hope for is to, is to you know, skip the second half of AA, so to speak. And start the season at AAA, which probably won't happen. But if he had a great spring, that's, maybe they would. Because they know. They, they, the guy's not major league ready now. And, you, you know, you can right. be a flash in the pan and have a great spring for a month. But that, that's not – on a team that intends to contend, you're not going to give a, an outfield spot, a, you know, a bench spot to a guy who has had, you know, 84 AA at-bats prior to spring training. It's just not going to happen. So I – I don't. I think the best he can hope for is a great spring. He starts this, the uh, the season at AAA. I think the more likely scenario that we're all thinking about is he has an average spring training. He hits maybe 240, you know, against major league pitching. He goes to AA and and see what happens. And I'll finish once he does this, get to AAA, uh, he's gonna he's gonna hit a home run in his first AAA at bat. <laughs> right, because that's, right. that's what he's done at every level. It's true. Uh, and I was just looking at this video of him. I mean, he's definitely raking when he connects with that fastball over the plate. Uh, so, you know, I mean, along with Pete Alonso in this uh, uh, this tweeted uh, gift slash video. And um, 
I'll, I'll finish with this, and I'll, I'll uh, let you speak again, John. Um, unlike Alderson, who stated in no cert- uncertain terms last spring that he expected Tebow to play in the big leagues, Callaway offered a more measure, uh, measured take referring how difficult it is for any player to achieve that goal. There have been so few major league players in the history of the game since the mid-1800s, Callaway said, to predict anybody who's going to play in the major leagues is tough for me, but I know that Tim Tebow on a daily basis is going to do everything he can to put himself in the best position to play in the big leagues. Now, I don't, I, you know, uh, with, with everything that we've talked about, I don't think, uh, you know, that I, I think that is some truth. It, it's not just a cliche what he's saying. Absolutely, and it, it goes back to what Rich said about the value of Tebow. Even if he provides no value on a major league box score anytime soon, or if at all, he's going to provide an example of what it takes to work hard to try to get to the major leagues. Even if, it, even if a, a prospect coming up lockers next to Tebow and thinks, man, this guy has very little chance to make the major leagues, but he's not giving up. What's my excuse? And if that happens with one Mets minor leaguer and puts that minor leaguer on a path from suspect to prospect, then maybe it will all be worth it. And, Mike, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, Tebow on a pop culture level, let, let's, let's think about, like, you know, what Bo Jackson meant as a multi, uh, 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 multi-athlete, multi-sport athlete. Um, I, I'm not comparing Tim Tebow to Bo Jackson here, because Bo Jackson unfortunately uh, got ripped from our hearts because of a, a terrible injury. Um, but it is interesting the the way Tebow has been able to stay within the public uh, purview, and and like we're talking about, he's an inspiration to to many people. He's going to keep on fighting. Was that directed to me? Yeah, no, Mike, go ahead. I thought you heard I, I thought thought you heard more to add say your that. name. You're right. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I have nothing more to add. I mean, he's a great story to many people. I don't want to deny that any, you know, deny anybody that. I really don't. So it, it's just that I just, you know, I, I accept it for where it is. I have no problem with it. If he outplays the next guy, fine. And if he doesn't, that's the nature of the beast. That's the way I look at it. I'm a pragmatic guy. And, uh, no more, no less. And with that, I will carry us over to our last word. And, and, and you know, there's there could be so many in the, the middle of the spring or the middle of the winter as we get some sleep on my air conditioning. Uh, Rich, where do you go with uh, in our first spring training special, the last word? Well, I can't come up with one, so I'm going to do a, a two words. Let's go. I'm ready. I, I've, you know, Saturday I will be glued to the TV. I'm going to be glued to the hot stove is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. I'm going to be glued to all those. And I know the games don't count, but there, are, like we talked about, there are some storylines. The multiplicity of players for certain positions. I want to see how that plays out. I can't wait to get this thing going. I'm, I'm happy about all the, the roster turnover. Um, sometimes activity doesn't mean results, but hopefully in this case it does. So. I, I am really pumped to get this thing going, so let's go. Mike, how about you? I'm like Rich. I can't narrow this down to one word, so I'm going to say priceworthy. 
John brought it up. We paid a stiff price in prospects this offseason. Sorry to see particularly two of them go. Uh, So I want to see this work out. (laughs) That's what I really want to say. I want to see this work out (laughs) price-worthy. And, John, before you give us your last word, please uh, give us your shameless plug. Shameless plug, uh, MetsDramasBlog.com on the Sports Daily Network. Uh, also, uh, Sunday nights on uh, – uh, now it's, it's not WLIE anymore, but it's 5.40 a.m. I think it's a Bollywood station now, but we do, they, we do do a sports show <laughs> at 7 o'clock on uh, 5.40. No, seriously, I think it's a Bollywood station. Um, but 5.40 a.m., uh, 7.02, I am on with the Baseball Report every week, so if you uh, care to join me there, feel free. And uh, my – and, uh, and also the Burger Ball podcast, which has started back up this season. And uh, I, I promise I will have all of you guys on at some point. Uh, and thank you for having me on, as always. I will – these are my last words. McNeil, Conforto, Syndergaard, Alonso, Diaz. More than anybody, to me, those five will tell the story of the New York Mets season. I don't know how I can top that last word. All, all I will say, and I, I will go back uh, to what we always say with this team, you got to believe. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, spring training special is over, and the only way to finish is, Rich? Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets, everybody. John, thank you for joining us. Mike, take care. Have thank, a good one, guys. Thank you, guys. Good night, everybody. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.